in practical ways. So I, I love our church, and I'm so thankful uh, that you're here today. And one of the reasons I'm so thankful is because you're going to get to hear from, from one of my friends. And uh, a few years ago, probably seven, eight years ago, I don't know, I, I, Robin and I are part of a roundtable of pastors and spouses that meet in different places around the country. And a few years ago, we met uh, Jeremy and Adrian Dixon and uh, have just grown to love them. And uh, they, they, they are hilarious. They make us laugh. Um, they share... Uh, of their experience and, and their past, which helps us learn so much. And uh, we've just enjoyed doing life with them on occasion. We, we, we get together at least once a year, sometimes more than that. But Jeremy's a pastor over in Los Angeles, and he pastors a church in the Inglewood area, if you're familiar with Los Angeles. They just launched a new campus in Sherman Oaks, which is, which is awesome. They're doing incredible things. And uh, in their Inglewood location, they are real close to the new stadium, almost across the street from the new stadium. And so there's a lot of development happening right around them, which means God has them on the front lines of impacting an incredible culture for Jesus, which I am so glad Jeremy's on the front lines of that and his team. And so um, I'm so grateful that when I asked him, would you be willing to hang out with us and, uh, and speak on, on the table one weekend, he, he said yes. I, th I think he was excited about it, but I'm not sure. Um, I, I told him that we would love him and that we would, uh, we would welcome him with open arms. Now, um, something you need to know about Jeremy is he's a good dresser. And when we dress alike, people sometimes confuse us for one another. <laughs> and so, Jeremy, it's awesome to have you. Would you give him a McDowell welcome and uh, thank him for being with us? Good morning, McDowell. This is the greatest church I've been to all morning. I'm trying to tell you, all morning. So really, let, let's pray quickly so that I can do my job, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Word. Is that fair? Eternal God, thanks so much for this moment, this sacred space um, that is sacred because we're here, and we are here in your name. And so I pray, Lord, as we have come together and we've sung and we've given and we've prayed and we've danced, Lord God, that in this time when we will contemplate your word, that you, Lord God, would just be with us, that you would inspire us, that you would make us instant, both the speaker and the hearer, that we might, Lord, leave this place um, better equipped to be the people you've always intended for us to be. We thank you for this and every blessing in the strong name of Jesus and the church said amen. God bless you. Um, once again, thanks so much for letting me hang out with you all. I love Matt and Robin. I leaned over to Matt uh, during worship. I said, Robin can really sing. <laughs> like, you know, she, she's good. <laughs> you know, some leaders will kind of give their spouses space <laughs> just because they're the spouse. But Robin, you sound like Shania Twain up there, girl. You was, give, <laughs> you was giving it to him. I love Matt. I love Matt for so many reasons. One is because we're so much alike in so many ways. Um, you know, we look alike. <laughs> he took me to a restaurant last night. Uh, <laughs> he didn't want me to say this, but he took me to a restaurant last night when I got in town um, just to commemorate our time together. And um, it was called White Chocolate Bistro <laughs> or Grill or something. I... So it's just, I feel so at home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so. Okay, another quick story about that, and, and I'm, 
It's not about, it's not, so another good friend of ours is Rod Stafford, who's in Fairfax, Virginia. So Rod came to speak for me a few months ago. So after church, we all went to dinner. My family, I have four kids. On top of that, and the men have four kids. Um, so Rod, we all go to dinner. And me and Rod at the table. And Rod is hilarious. And so we're laughing at the table, having a great time. And so my daughter, who's my oldest child, uh, she's 11th grade, she starts to film me and Rod at the table laughing and telling jokes. And later on, she sends me a short snippet video of, of, of Rod and I laughing. At the bottom, she says, this is what Dr. King died for. <laughs> for us to be at that table in love and in fellowship and, and companionship. So I'm super excited. All right, so, so I love your pastor, and, and I love this church already, and I'm going to tell you why. Because there is a spirit in this church of collaboration that is very unique. I asked uh, Pastor Matt if he would send with other pastors, a video to my church of, of him praying for our congregation. We do 21 days of fasting and praying at the beginning of the year. So ask me if he would send a video of him praying over our congregation. And he sent me a video of his entire staff praying over our congregation. And it just stuck out to me that he had called his team together to pray for us. And then um, you, you all produced these journals. Um, and I'm so impressed by the journals that I stole the idea and acted as if it was mine. Right now, we have a journal at our church that is authored by Jeremy Dixon. It all came from my mind. The Lord gave me a holy download. But, it also, but, but as, I, as I read through the journal, I noticed all the churches that were involved. And I know about, you know, the kind of the trifecta in, in Arizona of your church. And I'm just like, the, the, brilliance, the brilliance of church that is done right is church that is done together. When people recognize the power of collaboration, the power of unity, and that's why the enemy tries so hard to divide us, because he knows that our strength is found in our unity, and your church is exemplifying that at a really, really high level, and it's really speaking to, to our larger tribe around the country, and I want you to be proud of the work that you all are doing to help us to see that, that while we all are unique and have something to bring that is unique and is a blessing, it is, it is exponentially increased when we take what we have and put it with what someone else has. So a little bit about myself. Um, me and my wife have four biological children. Our oldest is 16, as I mentioned, and my youngest is 11. And we decided some time ago that God had called us to be foster parents. And it kind of emerged in a unique way. I was kind of thinking about it on my own. My wife was thinking about it on her own. And then we kind of had what would feel like a, you know, like a serendipitous conversation about what we thought it would look like for us to bring children to our home that had found themselves kind of on the fringes and oftentimes vulnerable. And that unleashed for us not just a personal responsibility, but it unleashed for us an opportunity to really lead in our congregation and in our city around this conversation with, with, with foster care. We have in LA County the largest population of children in the foster care system. Our county has more kids than some entire states have in their foster care system. And there's so many families that are impacted by this on a number of levels, whether it's, it's the child or it is the biological family or it is the foster family. All of these folk are impacted. And what I recognize about us kind of stepping into this um, this initiative is that as we leaned into it, God was really helping me to see the power of our relationship. Here's how I often say it. Um, when I became a dad, God began to show me 
uh, himself in unique ways. And I had tons of stories about fatherhood that helped me to appreciate God as my heavenly father. When I became a foster parent, God really showed me a unique aspect of Jesus. And here's what I mean. All of us are adopted into the family of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the tables that we arrive at, we're at these tables because Christ paid the ultimate price that we might have a seat at this table. And I want to encourage you as you think about the tables that you, you, that you sit around, the table of faith, the table of this community, that you occupy these seats not because of the work that you and I did, but you occupy these seats because of the work that Christ did on your behalf. Now, let me take you to a passage really quickly. I'm going to read a few. Romans 8, just on this conversation of adoption, verses 15 and 16 say this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. For me, when I think about this concept, it brings about an incredible a sense of, of awe and gratitude when I can appreciate that, that the Spirit of God, as I came into faith, allowed for me not to come in as a slave or to come in as one that does not have connection or right, but allowed for me to come in as one that is connected and now has a seat because I have been adopted into a family. I've often told my church, listen, God is not your boss. He's your dad. So don't think about your relationship with God through the lens of, of punitive ideologies or in the ways in which just it's about structure and regulations and rules. Think of it through the lens of you being a son or a daughter who was living a vulnerable life outside of the protection, outside of the provision of God. And then by way of the spirit, when Christ gave his life, you then were invited into this family to be connected, to be loved, to be safe, to be provided for. And so each of us, as Pastor Matt probably talked about last week, recognize that the provision of God is made available by way of Christ who allowed us to come in and take part in that which we did not deserve. Is that making sense to you? So let's go into the passage that I believe really typifies our conversation. In Luke 14, Jesus is having a conversation, and he's really talking about humility, and he's trying to help his disciples understand the ways in which we ought to present as we arrive in places that God has made available to us. And here's what it says, verses 8 through 11. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, then humiliate it. You will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I think about my place, you know, wherever that might be, and I want you to consider your places. Of course, the place you occupy as a member of the family of God, but whatever, whatever other tables you happen to sit at, 
whether it's even your family table, the tables on your job, the tables um, that are created through community groups or whatever places that you kind of fall, fall into, I want you to think about the fact that God has a disposition he'd like us to have as we arrive at these places. Too often, what I think happens in the context of humanity is that we forget how we got where we are. You know, the, the Lord does something great. The Lord provides for us. There's near misses in our path. Uh, there, there are opportunities that we were kind of walking into maybe self-sabotage and the Spirit of God protected us. And then sometimes we get to places that are, that are blessed places or healthy places or, or full places and we can forget that the ways in which we got here was not of our own doing. That was not because we were so smart or so well-informed or so well-connected, but it is the grace of God, the mercy of God. It is his loving kindness. It is his peace. It is his long-suffering. It's his patience that allows for us to occupy the space we are in. And let's just be frank. None of us deserve the breath in our body. But it is because of God's goodness unto us. It's because of his grace. It's because of his mercy that we are not consumed. And so I'm going to give you three kind of thoughts or three ways of thinking that I believe help us to remain in a place and a station of humility when it comes to, to being at the table with those that God loves and those that we love. Here's the first thing. I think it's important for us to always remember that whatever seat that you're in, you were invited to that seat. And here's what I mean. You can't determine who gets to come to sit at the table that God has prepared? Because like they were invited, you were invited. So often, you know, we, we can kind of find ourselves maybe conceptualizing our place through the lens of kind of ownership or entitlement. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll get into some spaces and we'll feel like we deserve to be in those spaces. That that, that space, and, and then what, what, what happens is, then we start becoming selective about who else can be in the spaces that we're in. But I think when we understand the heart of Christ and we understand the ways in which he has uniquely handcrafted our spaces, we know that all of us have been invited to this place. So I have to be really careful about the ways in which I see other people. Now, let's just be frank. There are people that I've come in contact with that I would have a conversation with God about them being at the table or at least sitting next to me. You know, there are just some people, they may be great people to other people, but I think to myself, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, when I think about, you know, the table and, and, and enjoyment at the table and, you know, eating at the table or feasting at the table, I'm like, you know, Lord, I want to sit here and can you put them maybe about five or six rows down? <laughs> right? It's really, it's really easy to get into that headspace. It's really easy, you know, and here's the deal. A lot of times it's not motivated always from a bad place. Right, because sometimes we'll find ourselves, listen, we'll find ourselves trying to protect the host. Right? When we see someone that we think maybe ought not be at the table because they maybe don't have the table manners we think they ought to have, they don't have the same ideologies that we think they ought to have, they don't have the same concepts, you know, and so sometimes, because we don't want the host to be embarrassed or the host to be put out, we'll, we'll kind of try to keep some people away from the table. But the truth is, you're invited, and so were they. And one of the unique things about the invitation of God is that it always comes in the form of God's relationship to the person. And oftentimes, God does not discuss with us why he invited someone else. 
and thank God he didn't discuss with them what he invited us for. Right? And let me just, can we go even further without you getting too uncomfortable? And thank God that God doesn't tell people what he invited me from to come to the table. But it is his loving kindness that cleans me up, dusts me off, and then keeps my secrets. The truth is, let's just be honest. I know sometimes you get a little queasy about this. But if everyone knew all the stuff that God delivered you from, oh, you don't want to talk to me now. Everybody got an attitude now. <laughs> If everyone knew all the things that God had to clean you up from and what God is still working out in your life, right? We were talking last night and we we're talking about this notion of the part of the reason that we extend grace is because we need it so much. And, and it is our recognition of our frail lives. It's the recognition that all of us have paths. All of us have places that God has had to navigate us through. And yet God in his loving kindness still invited us. Like, if y'all would have known, now, I'm going to be very honest, I was a church boy, my father was a pastor, I grew up in the church. But let me tell you, hell is in the church like it is in the world sometimes, right? And I found enough things to do in the church that was just as bad as the guy on the street. And I got saved not from the streets, I got saved from the pews. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes I think I was worse than the streets. But thanks be to God that he didn't allow for my mistakes and my mishaps and my misgivings and my foibles to stop him from inviting me to the table. And at the same token, I have to be in recognition that there's some people that I may not necessarily see life the way they do or appreciate their story the way I should. But it is not my decision to make. The host gets to invite all to the table. In John 15, 16, Jesus says this, look, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you. And here's what it says. Um, I chose you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Here's what's brilliant about that. When you think about the fact that God chose us, it is this notion that God chose us with foreknowledge. He knew us and he chose us. Think about that. He knew you. Listen, if some of our friends knew us, they might not choose us. But God knew us, and he chose us, and he invited us. And I'm going to tell you something, family. When you think about that, that you are an invited guest, it ought to cause you and I to be humble. It ought to cause you and I to be gracious. It ought to cause you and I to be just as actively engaged um, with other people in their place as we are with our own. But here's number two. It's not just that we were invited. Here's number two. is You can't afford the seat that you sit in. there's the Bible, there's a story or in in the Psalms, the question is asked, what shall I render to God for all of his benefits? The response is, I will take the cup of salvation. Now, what is mind-boggling to me is that the first question in that text is asking, what shall I give for what I have gotten? And the next statement is, I will take something else, the cup of salvation. What he's suggesting is, here's here's the point, there's nothing you can give. There's not an amount of money or there's not an activity of your life that will ever, listen, pay for where you occupy. Yes, we live out of holiness, out of grace, out of gratitude, but our holiness, our righteousness, our works is not to somehow compensate God for where he has placed us. It is to live an expression that is in recognition of God's goodness unto us. But that cup that I drink from, that cup of salvation is a cup I could never afford. 
And the seat that I sit at is a seat I could never afford. The Bible says in um, Ephesians uh, 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is this notion that the fact that we have been invited to the table of God is this idea that, you know what, on my best day, with my best energies, with all that I have amassed and accumulated in this life, there was nothing I could do that could pay for my seat at this table. And when you and I recognize that we didn't act good enough, we didn't think clean enough, we didn't give enough money, although Pastor Matt wants you to give your money to the church. But none of that stuff entitles us to our place. Our place is a gift, a gift we could not afford. Because here's the truth. If we would have had the capacity to do it, we would have done it. But it's yet when we were in our sins that Christ died because he saw us and pitied us beyond, beyond the cross. And I think it's this notion of recognizing that I don't deserve this. And that's hard for us sometimes. Because when you get into these spaces and, and you're serving two services and you've helped to finance the church and you're trying to live right and you don't kick your dog and you don't speak ill to your wife and you don't treat your husband, like you start to think, okay, you know, I'm doing the things. And then you kind of start to walk a little different, right? Like all week I didn't cuss nobody out. There was a slapping anointing on my life, but I didn't slap nobody. And, and, and we'll come into the presence of God sometime with this intact. So we sit at the table and, and we're puffing our chest out, right? And, we're, and, and this is why in the text that, that, that Jesus is talking about when he says, look, don't sit in the, in the most honored seat. He's like, well, calm down. I, I know your tendency is humanity to, to go to the seat that you believe you deserve. You think you deserve the most honorable seat because you're starting to calculate all the things you've done good. You know, I paid my tithes. You know, I did this. I did that. You start to kind of run that list, and it puts us in the mind frame that we somehow now, you know, ought to get something back. So the most honorable seat from God, and God is like, listen, on your best day, it's filthy rags, right? That you can't afford this. And I think part of that, and here's the, brilliance, here's the brilliance of the cross. It is the most equalizing aspect in all of humanity. Whether you are rich or poor, black or white, in or out, up or down, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. That cross makes us all equal because sin has permeated the, the whole of humanity. And it is only the Christ, it is only the Christ that provides us space into forgiveness, redemption, and ultimately a forever life with him. So when we all show up at the table recognizing that we just couldn't afford to be in this room, it causes us to be more conscious of how we engage one with the other. Like, I love you because I know that you also have a story and a path and a past that God had to cover and clean just like he had to cover and clean me. And so we both come in broke. <laughs> Isn't it great when you show up at an event and ain't nobody got no money? We're going to figure it out together, right? Listen, I'm broke, you broke, we all broke, right? Let's sing a song about it and find a way to put these ham, you know, and these cheeseburgers together and make it work. There's something about showing up, recognizing that on your best day it's not enough. And that's not anything to be insecure about. It's something to have great gratitude about. That I don't have to have enough. 
I don't have to do enough to, 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 to secure my seat. But I get to come in here simply because of Christ and what he has done. And so I'm also very loving and inviting of those who are also there. All right, so here's my last point. I don't know how much time I have, but Matt said to preach for about an hour, hour and a half. So you guys pay attention. <laughs> he said it's, it's an hour and a half service, and that's mostly preaching, right? All right. All right, here, here, here's my last point, potentially. <laughs> I may have a couple of sub points that pop in my head because I'm feeling the spirit right now. Don't you all feel the spirit? Never mind. All right. All right, here's the last point. The last point is this notion that the table is abundant. It's an abundant table. So, there, so let me, let me kind of let me kind of go back to the beginning and draw for you a juxtaposition of the orphan spirit and the adopted spirit. The orphan spirit oftentimes views life through the lens of scarcity. I don't mean this in a condescending way. We're foster parents. We deal in the foster care industry. I hate to call it that. And we see how many children, because they're constantly in a state of instability and constantly having to to, to do their best to hold on or to fight for what they can get, it causes them to really rationalize life through this idea of scarcity. Because there's, there's, they never know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know if they're going to be transferred somewhere else. They don't know if their foster parent is going to bring in additional children and they'll have to share the little that they have. I mean, we have had and in, in seen circumstances where children who have gone from place to place will leave a house with nothing but a trash bag that has their clothes in it. This idea of not having place of not having stability, of not having this perpetual provision in their life causes them oftentimes, not all of them, but oftentimes I see how it impacts the way in which they appreciate the things they have. Because oftentimes they don't know how long whatever it is will last. You have to remember these children were in most cases taken from their homes in the dead of night or or from school. I mean, it's so, it's a terrible, terrible system. It's well-intended but there are elements that are very, very broken. But it produces this idealism of scarcity. And what scarcity typically does is it causes us to hoard. It causes us to think about grace and love and space and, and everything through this zero-sum re- reality where I, I, for me to have, you can't have because there's not enough to go around. That for me to go up, you have to go down. That for me to be able to expand, I have to take a bit of what you have. And if you ever started to expand, you would maybe rob me of what I have. It's a scarcity mentality. But we are not called to view life at the table of God through the lens of scarcity because we are not orphans. We're not orphans. We are adopted children of God. And that means we are joint heirs. And whatever the Lord has, we have too. And all that he has made available is, is, is limitless. And this is what I love about Scripture. If you look at all the places in Scripture, you'll find these ideas. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's always overflowing my cup. He's the God that gives me life and, and that life more abundantly. God is trying to show us how ostentatious, how limitless, how opulent his love is concerning us in his grace. And so when we show up at the table, we do so saying, I'm okay if everyone comes. I'm okay if every tribe, every custom, every creed, every tongue, I, I, I'm okay with that. Because here's what I know. There's always going to be enough. There's always going to be abundance at this table. 
that the Spirit of God is never going to run short. His arm is never going to be weak. He's never going to be curious about what happens next. I love when he feeds the 5,000. He talks to his disciples. He says, you all feed them. And they had a scarcity mentality. How could we do such a thing? But Christ, in his amazing way, he says to them, if you will find something to offer, it is who I am that breaks and multiplies. And what God is saying to each and every one of you, doesn't matter where you come from or what you're walking through or what is taking place, you are not an orphan, you are adopted. You don't have to worry about scarcity. You don't have to worry about what happens geopolitically. You don't have to worry about the things that take place in your life that might make you or attempt to make you feel insecure. You serve an abundant God who has never run out, who has never run short, who has never slack concerning his promises, but he will always show up in every season of your life. And it's with this ideology, it's with this way of thinking that we then say, you know, to the highways and the hedges, everyone come. There's so much more. I, I know that you're far from God. I know that you come from different space. It doesn't matter. We serve. We have a dad who has abundance. So I don't become inscribed by my place. Doesn't matter how many people show up to the party. I always have a seat and my plate will always be full because my God is an abundant God. And so it's with this frame of mind that my heart says, number one, I'm humbled that he would love me so generously, but that now I have to turn and take that same generosity and tell everyone I know, there's more. There's more at the table. There's more in the presence of God. Because it's dark out there, and it's lonely out there, and it's vulnerable out there. But in the family of God, at the table of God, there is always, always, always more than enough. And when we understand that, we don't get weird about who shows up. We understand that. The Bible says this was a wedding feast. It wasn't just dinner. It was a feast. I mean, imagine, imagine when God prepares a table. Imagine all the things that he, he puts there. Imagine, like, you, you and I can think of some great dishes I heard talk about bacon dipped in chocolate. And, you know, sister told me about an upside-down mango and something else. Cake. I mean, these are great ideas. But with all that Wolfgang Pug and all that, that can do, imagine how much more our God's imagination is concerning provision for his children. And I think it's with that space, it's in that moment that you say, I need more people to come eat at this table. There's, there's just so much. There's so much here. There's so much love here. There's so much grace here. There's so much forgiveness here. There's so much abundance. There, there's so much salvation, redemption. There's so much freedom here. I need everyone to come eat from this limited or limitless table. I think it's when we get there, it changes our hearts. A lot of times, the reason that we become, I think, people who hoard or are restrictive or exclusive is because we don't know, number one, that the place that we're in was a place that we were invited to. Sometimes we don't recognize that the God that we serve gave it to us because he loved us, not because we earned it. And we forget that that which he gave, he gave without limit. So we can share. We can invite we can embrace, we can engage, and be very comfortable that the same God who's provided for us has more than enough for everyone else. And it's with that frame of mind that I believe the church 
really becomes the place that God always intended. Eternal God, thanks so much. How amazing it is for you to meet us in this place. Thank you for every life that's here. Every person that was invited to your table. The table, Lord God, of love and forgiveness. The table of trust and safety. A table of abundance. A table of fullness. Thank you. We just, we can't thank you enough. And it's with this gratitude that we are not exclusive. We are not discriminating. But we are inviting, we're invitational to anyone that will come and drink from this cup. So help us to embody that in our daily life. Help us to invite to our personal tables the folk that you invite, invite to your heavenly table. That we might exemplify in the earth and manifest in the natural a very spiritual thing. All of us are invited to sup at the table of our God. We thank you for this and every blessing in the strong name of Jesus. to the table, not our table to do the inviting, not enough to pay for the seat that we've been given, yet enough for everyone who would come and drink from the cup. That's a good word, right? So I don't know where you are today and what, what God's doing in your heart and in your mind, but we want to give you just some space to think and wrestle and respond to that. So I'm going to ask you to stand where you are and uh, as we sing this song together and we remember the living hope that we have in Jesus, maybe you need to take communion. So there's communion here in front, there's some in the back, the cup of salvation, come and drink, all of you. Maybe for you, you felt very disconnected from God. Maybe you feel like you're not invited to the table or, or, or that you've been to the table, but you're not quite sure if you belong. Maybe today you need to come to a candle and light it and say, God, may your presence fall over me. May I know that you've chosen me and adopted me into your family. Maybe you just need someone to pray over you today. So in the back of the room, there are um, some prayer partners that would just love to pray for you today. Let's sing together. Let's, let's reflect and let's wrestle with the truth that uh, God's word brings to us. Let's sing together.